0: Y bienvenidos a la Deuce's Wild Daily Hustle. Soy Enrique Barnes y Presidente Esa Mejor Cerveza. No abate por No Filter Network, Will the Thrill Clark, y Miguelito San Diegoito. But, dead or alive, job or no job, with us or without us, we properly salute our boys. Yes, 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 woo. Remember this, folks, when we are juiceful, we are useful. And when we are juiceless, we are fucking useless. A very pleasant good morning to you on the 22nd day of November, 2023. Giuseppe Pepe Manuele in the house. And so, of course, we're going to honor him with the Finns, Mark, Clayton, throwbacks. How they don't wear those bad boys every single week, I got no idea. And they got to change their helmets back to the old logo. My goodness. It's amazing how many teams got rid of what was a better logo for some futuristic bullshit. I mean, we could go over I could do a whole show on teams that have basically... Fucked up their unis along the way. Like, for example, the Astros one that I always have up here. How is that thing not constantly in the rotation? They wear them every now and again now because of the throwbacks. But you guys know what I'm talking about. Look at that beautiful bastard. Anyhow, <clears throat> we are brought to you by Bet online And that's right. Hold on before I do this. Long-ass read. Mm. I wet the whistle a little bit with some cafe. We had an issue with the iPad this morning. And so I got to give Joe all kinds of love. He was downstairs, he was on the phone with no less than eight different people from T Mobile trying to get this shit set up. It's really not that hard. It's amazing to me how difficult we make things. But the carrier, look. I had an iPad. I don't have that iPad anymore. Here's the old number. Here's the new one when it comes to identifying the VIN or whatever the fuck it is. And kill that one, light up this one when it comes to the cellular. Yes, it's back. This is the same iPad that went down during the All State games, California versus Texas. The Texas lefty threw a fastball that just absolutely shattered it. So that then. Uh, started a series of events. Number one, me going to the Apple store in which we got to experience a place getting robbed. Really cool, if you ask me. Uh, happy to have been there and seen that shit show go down. And then finally, got it back yesterday when we went to the Reno store in Apple as well, but I knew it was going to be a bit of a process trying to get the cellular back into it because... Uh I just I've seen it done too many times before but Joe's working on it now. I don't think it's there yet. It was supposed to be so anyhow. Uh this holiday season is off and rolling with NFL in full stride and the NBA and NHL hitting mid-season form. Bet Online is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info with up to the minute sports wagering news, odds, trends, predictions. Bet Online is the top spot for everything pro and amateur sports, and not just the big four, Bet Online has available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time for almost any sport that is played, from MMA to international soccer. As I mentioned yesterday, I do not know if they have travel baseball lines, but it would be fascinating if they did. Head to Bet Online today, and remember to use the promo code Bleep. Capital B-L-E-A-V. All capped for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Also, don't forget about our partners at KT Tape. Get yourself some pro Washington Tape by hitting the QR code in the upper right-hand corner. That's it. Right. Hold on a second. Right there. It's always a little tricky and awkward because I use my left hand, but sure enough, hit that QR code, put your email address in there. You'll get 15% off all of the items. If you're dealing with any sort of soreness, any issue, it basically promotes blood flow to the area by lifting the skin, decreases inflammation, and relieves pain, keeping us charging through life. Lastly, to focus for this show, you guys know this. We got our Verge. Go to tryverge.com. This is a cannabis product. It's got honey. It's got lemon. It's got ginger. It is very soothing on the throat as well. It's supposed to take away the jitters and just get you a nice, relaxed focus through the course of the day. I'll probably hit anywhere between two to four of these. So. Salud. And ask for our guy, Jory, over there. He'll take care of you. Mm. (sighs) We never pimp products we don't use. And that went down very, very smoothly. Okay, today's Daily Hustle electronic email communication. If you have not signed up for that, go to ericburns.com. Put your email address in to start receiving those. We... Essentially, we'll take the message there, come on here, talk about it, expand upon it, and then get into all sorts of other things, whatever the hottest baseball news is. And then we just kind of go from there. Buenos dias. Today is Wooden, Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023. Daily Hustle quote of the day. Here's the only expectation it is useful to have in your mind, regardless of your profession. Quote, I will do the best I am capable of doing today. To bring out my best tomorrow, John Wooden. Daily Hustle translation: <clears throat> We are inundated with expectations, whether they are our own or somebody else's. We cannot control an outsider's expectation of us, our team, or our business, but we most certainly can control our own. It's okay to have a vision of where we want to go, and it's okay to shoot for numerical goals we want to reach. Yet, oftentimes there are external forces far outside of our control that may prevent us from reaching these benchmarks. And whether we like it or not, we can't do a damn thing about it. That all said, as Coach Wooden suggests, the only expectation we should ever have is to do our absolute best today, which in turn will bring out our best for tomorrow. Cool. Sounds like a great cliche, butthead. But how do I go about doing my best? Hey, it's Stevie Supersoft. Great question and happy Thanksgiving, fuckface. Here are a here is a quick seven-step guide how to do our best today. Number 1, identify controllables. Number 2, create a game plan. Number 3, obsess over details. Number 4, stay fluid. Number five, be coachable. Number six, work relentlessly. And number seven, fail forward. See ya. EB. P.S., during the busiest travel week of the year, click pick below. For a few unfiltered suggestions I shared on yesterday's Daily Hustle, that should help all of us with airplane etiquette. Also, click blue link for today's DH. And I appreciate you guys joining us, sticking around. I know I came on. Late here. This is our content creation destination. So basically, this is bonus coverage material. We then go out to 17 different podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify. Most of you guys are listening there. And if you are, if you could leave a review, we would greatly appreciate it. Feeling generous, five stars would be fucking fantastic. So, yeah, as I was, I was writing this this morning, the problem with do your best. I know what that means. I think most of us know what that means, but how often does somebody give us a roadmap in order to do our best? What are the things that I need to be focusing on if I want to do my best today, which will then set me up for tomorrow? Well, I came up with these this morning. They weren't super well thought out, but i did have the idea that what if there is someone like a cv super soft in the world that has no fucking clue how to go out there and do his best and gets distracted because of different i don't know distractions outside that will keep people's attention span fleeing well Here is the quick seven-step guide. I'm going to go over them quick one more time and just kind of give you an idea of what I was thinking when I put them together. And I'm willing to listen. If you guys have other suggestions about maybe something you would like to see in here, I'm all about it. The issue is that I could have gone on and probably put 50 things down here that we could do to do our best. Then it gets to an issue of how deep do we want to go with this Seven's a number on the list thing that I think is pretty good. It just, it's the same reason why we got seven digit phone numbers. They're there so we can remember them. I think here's seven that we could really focus on that could help us identify controllables. Look, if shit's outside of our control and we can't do anything about it, why are we going to focus on it? On the same token, if there is something that is within our control, that we could physically or mentally do to all of a sudden help the process. Well, you know what? Fucking do it. Number two, create a game plan. Bill Walsh used to script the first 20 plays of the game. And he did it because if the opposing team ran back the opening kickoff for a touchdown, he didn't want to panic. He wanted to stay within himself, have the team stay within themselves, know it's a four-quarter game, and be very meticulous in the process of execution early on. And you got to practice all those plays so the guys knew what to expect. It is vital to create a game plan. The same way it is vital, this is number three here, to obsess over the details. When you talk about executing a play, I'll go back to baseball here, but... The biggest thing in baseball when it comes to youth travel ball, for example, and the difference between winning and losing games, you know what it has to do with? Details. Leads at first base, leads at second base, leads at third base, defensive positioning in the infield, defensive positioning in the outfield. Just those alone. Just those alone. If coaches would focus on winning that game, it's fucking huge. So obsess. Over the details, another thing along the lines of the create a game plan, and Bill Walsh would also say this stay fluid because if you do go down seven, nothing, 14, nothing, 21, nothing, at some point you're going to have to make an adjustment. So stay fluid to the game situation, but for the most part, stick to that original plan as long as possible and then go ahead and make the adjustments. Number five, be coachable. It's impossible to learn what you think you already know. I don't care how long you've fucking been in any industry. It doesn't matter. You've got to be able to still be coachable, to still learn. And you never know where that lesson is going to come from. It might come from the person who just got hired, the brand new player. It might come from your mom. It might come from your dad. It might come from somebody or something that you never thought it would come from. But so long as we keep an open mind and we're still coachable, it will be beneficial. Number six, work relentlessly. There's no substitute for work. We could sit here and talk about all this shit over and over and over again. If you're not willing to work and relentlessly work, we can't help you. Lastly, number seven, fail forward. Failure is inevitable. It's going to happen. It doesn't matter who you are. What are you going to do after you fail? Are you going to let it Put you into remission where you're like, oh, man, a failure. It doesn't work out. I don't know what to do. Fuck that. Use that failure as a lesson. Let that teach you what you need to do to get better going forward. So there it is, the seven quick step guide on how to do our best today. All right, getting into... The articles, I really enjoy putting these together. I just now have so many to go over that I'm not really sure where to start each day. First and foremost, I feel like, and I might be wrong with this, but the majority of our audience here at Deuce's Wild Daily Hustle are baseball fans. So every single day when I come on here, I'm going to try to give you the biggest baseball news and story that we have discussion talking point whatever well today i read an article right before i came on here that's actually waiting for giuseppe pepe manuele to go ahead and get this ipad up and rolling well look the one let's see here gotta go through all of these geez not now okay The article that I came across that I think is going to ruffle some feathers, it is in Sports Illustrated for Kids. Huh. And the title of the article, No More Starting Pitchers, with an exclamation mark. This is a huge, huge topic. Because essentially what this article is saying is that the death of the starting pitcher is here. I'm going to go through a little bit of it with you, and then we'll have some discussion on the back end. But they talk about September 8th. This is where it starts with this team leading 4-2 Seattle Mariners pitcher George Kirby went back out for the seventh inning after getting the first Tampa Bay Hitter to ground out, Kirby gave up a double to outfielder Jose Siri. Then on the 102nd and final pitch of the game, Kirby surrendered a game-tying homer to Rene Pinto. The Mariners went on to lose 7-4. After the game, Kirby told reporters, I wish I wasn't out there for the 7th, to be honest. I was at 90 pitches, and I didn't think I needed to go anymore. It is unusual for any athlete to admit they wanted out of a contest. Top of the rotation starters are expected to try to go deep into games, especially during... Tight September pennant races. Kirby's comments drew the the rebuke of retired MLB hurlers, most of whom played in eras when 90 pitches would have been a short start. This is tough to hear. Would not fly in my day, wrote Roger Clemens, who once threw 161 pitches on a 100-degree heat day in Texas in 1988. Crazy that someone can be so mentally weak who plays – A sport at a high level, said Mark Mulder, who threw 229 in a third innings for the A's in 2001. Even some contemporary pitchers were baffled. Don't know all the details, but here is, but this is really weird, wrote Brandon McCarthy, who last pitched for the Braves in 2018. I get the feeling if you're just out of gas, but can't imagine ever verbalizing this publicly. The next day, Kirby apologized to manager Scott Service and claimed. His comments did not represent his truthful competitors, but it was too late. <laughs> Nearly everyone, fans, commentators, players, piled on Kirby for being soft, especially compared to stars of yesteryear. Even if he was soft, though, was also something else. He was also something else. Absolutely right. The decision to push Kirby past 100 pitches almost certainly did cost the Mariners a key game. Doesn't that matter at all? I know you're thinking Kirby blew the game, and then he put the blame on his manager that I'm helping him make excuses for his own performance. Science, however, is on Kirby's side. Batting stats rise steadily for more times a pitcher goes through the opposing batter, batting order. In 2023, hitters had a 315 weighted on base percentage on their first crack at the other team's starter. That number improved to 323 on the second time in 336 On the third, the trend makes intuitive sense. Hitters have seen all their opponent's pitches at this point and know their plan for getting them out. The hurler is also battling fatigue batters don't experience. Speaking of fatigue, Kirby's average fastball velocity, 96.1, ranked sixth amongst all starters this past season. A sinker, 95.8, was the fourth hardest. The Molders of the world may have topped out at 96 two decades ago. But they weren't averaging it. Pitchers are exerting themselves more because 90 miles miles per hour won't cut it. And they're paying for it with their arms. If a boxer can tap out of a fight before they get seriously hurt, why can't a pitcher? Admit it, old-timers. You're not mad at Kirby. You're mad at baseball. Pitching culture has changed. As recently as 2015, starters averaged 5.81 innings per game, by 2020, that number had dipped to 4.73. Logan Webb led all pitchers this past season with 216 innings. Clemens twice topped the league's in innings pitch with 271 in 91 and 264. The pitcher is the ultimate solo performer. He stands on a raised surface as center of the field, all eyes on him. He controls the ball and nothing happens in the game until he goes when a person in that position can go nine innings and totally dominate. There is no one cooler in all the sports. And the fact that going the distance in a baseball game is rarer has actually made guys like Sandy Alcantara who had nine complete games in the last few seasons, that much more special shaming Kirby to be quiet and get back out there. Won't stop the game from evolving only radical rule changes can do for pitching what the disengagement limit and bigger bases have done for base stealing. Should the mound be closer? Should the strike zone expand? Probably not. Batters already strike out too much. More likely, the game will continue to evolve. Openers will become more prevalent. Rotations will expand or vanish altogether. Bullpens will carry a greater mix of long and short relievers. The starter, as we know it, will cease To exist, George Kirby isn't what's wrong with this era of baseball. He's just caught in between. In 50 years, fans will look back at what Kirby said and find it odd. Not that he said it, but that it even needed to be said. Okay. There's a lot to unpack right here. Number one, George Kirby. If he didn't feel like he should have been in the game, he should have told his manager. We talked about this before in the Daily Hustle. And I was one of the ones that piled on, but I wanted to understand where he was coming from. And even then when it happened, I did get it. Because he's not the first pitcher to have that feeling where he felt like the manager left him in too long. Okay. The issue is this. Pitchers are throwing harder. There's way more strain on their arm. There's way more arm injuries that are resulting with it. As I sit here and watch my screen freeze up. Hopefully we're back here. But the other thing about this is that... starting pitchers and their ability to go nine innings, which is such a rare feat now. Sandy Alcantara has nine of them over the past two seasons. If you go back and look at the statistics, there were guys that would start 35 games and they would go nine innings and fucking 30 of them. It wasn't even a question. And I think there was an element of... They stayed in the game longer for a few different reasons. Number one being that they were trained to do so. So the first issue with all of this is that we're not training our pitchers to go that distance. We're not preparing them to go a hundred plus pitches every single start. And that's on us. Your best pitcher, the best pitcher that we have is. The starting pitcher. The number one starting pitcher. He's better than your fucking number one reliever. He's better than anybody in the bullpen. He's better than your two, three, four, and five. That dude needs to be trained up to go ahead and go 100 plus pitches. Logan Webb, and I give Farhan Zaidi and Gabe Kapler a lot of credit with this, 216, that's not bad. And this is a super analytically driven group that runs the team. So one of the things is, is that if you look at the numbers of Justin Verlander, you can't put everybody else in a box for a long time. And I don't know what the recent statistics say, but for a long time, Justin Verlander would get better and throw harder as the game went on. Well, part of that is because that's, how he trained, and he actually purposely would do that. So to think that starting pitchers will become extinct, number one, it's not going to fucking happen. It's just not. Are we going to train more long relievers? Are we going to train more openers? I mean, what's an opener? An opener is a fucking late-game reliever. That's all an opener is. And there were a few different times in the playoffs where it worked out for shit meaning it didn't work out at all. So that trend of putting your 9th, 10th, 11th best pitcher out on the mound to try to get super important outs at the beginning of the game and going through the top of the lineup, you want to fucking do it, go ahead. That's up to you. Ultimately, you know what I want? I want my dude on the mound in high-leverage situations. So. Wherever that high-leverage situation is, I'm in. Now, is the first inning a high-leverage situation? Yeah. Going to the top of the lineup, it is. It's important. So, if anything, if you want to use, quote-unquote, the opener, I'd probably go to my best reliever. You could make an argument to go to your closer in that situation. So, I just think the total argument with this is – We got to train our starting pitchers up. We have to also teach them that velocity is not everything. It's not. Is it important? Of course it is. Is it everything? It's not. The amount of pitching that's going on these days is, it's almost sad. So when you see a guy like a Paul Seawalt, who was very successful in throwing 92 mile per hour fastballs up in the zone, it's impressive. I think the automated strike zone is going to change shit, too, and the way guys pitch and trying to hit that curveball to the top of the zone, whatever. But the bottom line is think think about it as there's 25 guys in a roster. Let's just say you have 12 position players and 13 pitchers. Rank your pitchers from one to 13. Who do you want to have the ball in their hand most? I want one, two, three, four, and five. That's it. And then. If those guys are able to get you past five, then you're able to properly manage the bullpen. And you can have your seventh, eighth, ninth inning guy. And then you can mix and match based on the amount of days in a row that they've thrown, whatever. But to have a starter now go four innings, which is the average, it's depleting bullpens and it's deteriorating the quality of arms that we're able to use there's a few more antidotes with this you know one of those being i think that we have to figure out a way to create superstars and in creating superstars those guys got to be on the field so if major league baseball who is so proactive about all the rules that they want to change why not you're a starting pitcher. You go X amount of pitches. You go X amount of innings, whatever it is. Put a pitch limit on it. Now, if you come out for injury reasons, that's okay. But you're going to have to miss X amount of time down the road. Otherwise, you're going to have guys or coaches going, yeah, you know, fake the injury, whatever will get you out of there. But why not do that? The other thing is that will promote more offense. Part of the beauty of facing a starting pitcher three times was that you did get to see all of his pitches. And it became a chess match. And it was a brilliant chess match. And yes, at the beginning, the starting pitcher had the advantage. But later on, the hitter would have the advantage. I had some battles. I remember with Matt Kane. there was one time in spring training where I came up to the first at bat. He threw me all fastballs. I come up to second at bat, he throws me all sliders. I come up to third at bat, he's throwing me all change-ups. It was awesome. And he obviously had a plan of what he was going to do. I got to see all three. And it was this chess match that went back and forth and back and forth. That's fucking great for the game. It is. And what else is great for the game is having a guy like Matt Cain on the mound so the fans can appreciate him and understand. But running one reliever in there after another, fuck. That's too much. Not only does it slow the game down, it just doesn't have the same romantic appeal of that starting pitcher. Like the article said, there's no more glorious of a position to play or to uh, a dude to be than that guy on the bump when you can go out there and be dominant. We need more of that in the game. So will it change down the road? I hope not, and I hope there's rules put in place for it. All right, that's that. Let's keep rolling here. The uh, next article I had was actually a game that we watched last night. Marquette, Shaka Smart, beat number one Kansas in the Maui Invitational. Number four Marquette routed number one Kansas 73-59. to So they were up 10 at halftime. And they were... Plus five for the second half. So Marquette was up 10. Now Kansas is the number one team in the land. They were plus five. So that basically meant that Marquette was going to have to win the game by five in order to cover that second half line. Actually, that would have pushed it. But you could just tell from watching the first half that Marquette's the better basketball team right now. And I'm not to say that it could change because it could. Kansas had his moments, It had a few times, had some really nice ball movement, knocked down some threes. But Marquette, they got the fastest dude in college basketball. They had a little dude, number 22, just running around this. Let's see, holy shit. They had another little white guy flying around the court. Their big guys looked dominant. They had a presence inside. They had a nice soft touch with the basketball. So they were plus 375 in the second half and with that plus 375 in the second half i'm like dude we gotta hop on it hop on it so basically meaning that on the money line they were plus 375 so they would have had to beat kansas in the second half they would have had to win the game by 11 or more points well sure shit what happened they end up winning 73-59, to 14-point winners. Marquette not only covers the line, the original line of the game, which was like three, they then cover the second half line, and they cover the money line for the game and the money line for the second half. Huge fucking win for Marquette. Look out for them. That's going to be a force. UCLA, UCLA plays Gonzaga. Tonight, is getting four and a half in that one. I like the Bruins. They played Marquette super tight the other night. They lost 71 to 69. The Bruins lost 71 to 69. But a lot of people watched that game. I did not. A lot of people who did are saying that the Bruins should have won it. They were up 12 at one point. So back to the Maui invitational. Tonight, at Hawaii late last night. For all of you uh curious. They played Northern Arizona. Uh, we bet on Northern Arizona just based on the fact that they, uh, we figured they'd be in shape because of the high altitude training they were getting. Plus fourteen and a half. They lost by nine. So another nice pull by our boys out in Flagstaff. All right, the uh, Monday night football game is now a flex game. This is. That was crazy, but it's just gonna mix things up in the last few weeks of this season. I'll explain it here. For the first time in NFL history, the league is allowed to flex Monday night games, and we could see the NFL utilize its new power at some point over the next few weeks. When it comes to flexing Monday night games, the league has to follow two rules. Number one, the NFL can only move a game that's being played between week twelve and week seventeen. So we're here if. The league is going to utilize flex scheduling. The decision has to be made at least 12 days in advance. Based on how the rest of the Monday night schedule breaks down, it seems that there is only one game that really has a chance to be flexed. And the NFL VP of broadcast planning, Mike North, revealed that game during a recent interview on the SI Media Podcast. First, let's take a look at the remaining Monday night games. We got... The Bears at Vikings, week 12. Week 13 is the Bengals at Jaguars. So we just had week 12, right? It's the Bengals at the Jaguars. Week 14, that's week 13. Week 14 is Titans at Dolphins, Packers at Giants. Week 15, Chiefs at Patriots. Week 16, Ravens at Niners. That's going to be a good one. Week 17, Lions at Cowboys. So you're not changing week 16 or 17. The Chiefs are always a big draw Bill Belichick. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not changing week 15. Titans at Dolphins. Packers at Giants. I mean, that would be the shitty one. There you go. The Bengals are still relevant. They play the Jags who are relevant, so you're not going to mix that up. But the Packers at Giants, let's see if I called it. It says the Bears-Vikings game can be flexed because we're already inside the 12-day window for making a decision according, oh, it can't be flexed. Okay, we already had that. The problem with moving the game is that the Jets play at home Sunday afternoon, so the NFL can't simply move the Giants to Sunday since the two teams share a stadium. The way to solve that problem would be to have two teams flip games in that situation. The Giants could take the 1 p.m. slot on Sunday that is currently occupied by the Jets, and the Jets would move to the Monday night game. Huh. The reason the NFL is considering this move is because the Jets are playing the Texans which is one of the league definitely wants to flex and do prime time this year. Yeah. CJ Stroud. Of course you do. I'm not sure we do it. Nor said of the flipping the two games, but the Texans have played their way into a national television. We're looking for an opportunity to feature them. According to North, the Packers and giants were wrenched into the league's week 14 flexing plans when they both won in week 11. A week ago, I would have told you, yeah, it's certain possibility. So anyway, I think it's good. I do. I think it's important that you get those prime matchups out there. We'll see if they pull it off. And thank you, Eleanor, for barking at the blower. By the way, I spent a good hour blowing the cage yesterday. There is nothing more rewarding than manual work. I'm serious. When you're out there and it's just you and the blower and the leaves. Remind me of a kid. I I I used to mow lawns, and use the blower, and just you forget. I mean, this day and age. I mean, I haven't done it a long time, and I put that blower on yesterday, cleared that batting cage out. Oh, it was fucking awesome. Okay, uh, is society softening? Here's the next one. Aaron Rodgers agrees with Tom Brady's criticism of the NFL. Attributes changes to a softening in society. Aaron Rodgers is the last of the old guard quarterbacks that included Tom Brady, who recently made headlines when he said there's a lot of mediocrity in today's NFL. Rodgers said that he agrees with Brady's take on how some of the rules changes has created a lot of bad habits. The Jets quarterback said Tuesday on the Pat McAfee show when I was a young player too, the greatest fear you have as a quarterback is getting one of your guys hurt. Rogers said, well, echoing what Brady said on the Stephen A. Smith show, throwing a ball high over the middle, exposing the guy and him getting rocked and him leaving the game. That was your biggest fear. So you were smart about certain plays and throws of just not making them Rogers who has never been afraid to share his opinions, attributed to the NFL rules, changes to a shift in culture. Quote, if I'm looking at this from a real big picture, there's a softening of society that has definitely caused things like this. Hockey doesn't have an enforcer position anymore. Why? Because we need the fighting out of hockey. It's too violent. I think people want to see football be a collision sport. Not to where guys are getting mangled on the field, but they enjoy the big hits. There are certain players who you just knew were the big hitters and push the line of what's cheap, what's a cheap shot, and what's a legit hit. Like Brady Rogers sympathizes with defensive players who have to try to do their jobs while also avoiding doing something that could lead to a flag or a fine or suspension. It's tough to play defense in the league, Rogers said. It's really tough. I saw a couple of calls on Monday night and was just thinking. That was not how it used to be. Used to play the Lions and you know you're getting rocked just about every snap. You're taking a hit when you're dropping back. You're going to get hit. You're going to get pushed. If you go back and look at some film of some of those games, I'm talking like 08 to 14. The game was ref differently, a little different back then. It's a better – it is better in certain areas for player safety 100%. Have we gone too far in certain rules? 100% as well. And I think it's really hard to play defense. It's really hard to figure out the strike zone, especially with a moving player. I think we've created bad habits with some of the reads and zero fear of throwing over the middle. I think some of the quarterbacks are getting rewarded for sliding late at times and taking very light shots that become 15-yard penalties. Rogers acknowledged the rules were... Implemented partly to make the game safer. And while Rogers agrees with some of the rules that were added for player safety, it's clear that he and Brady feel that it's gone too far in the other direction. Okay. Look, it's a yin and yang life. You know, one minute it's oh my goodness. I can't believe what's going on on a football field and the collisions and everything else. And then the next, it becomes this, Holy shit, man. Like, let the guys fucking play. Where is the right place on the scale? Probably in the middle. I, there were hits that were egregious, over the top, players getting hurt. I think you're probably just look at the injuries. I mean, you do, look at the injury report between, I don't know, let's go 10 years back and then go 10 years forward. Rogers mentioned 08 to 14. So, Let's look at some statistics from 2013 and 2023 and see if we are making the players safer from protecting them from these hits. There's certain things in life that we try to protect. And, you know, in trying to do so, it becomes so over the top that we end up doing more harm than good. I know one of those things that I read in Jordan Peterson's book were playgrounds and skate parks. And so they were starting to take playgrounds and skate parks out of these cities. And what they were finding is that, look, kids are going to be kids anyway. And they're going to go out, so they're going to find other ways to do it. The big argument in hockey is that in hockey, the enforcer was put there to know that if you're taking a cheap shot, you're going to now have to go fucking toe-to-toe with whoever that enforcer is well the reason why they allowed fighting is because without it there would just be more and more cheap shots so instead of trying to just square up boom duke it out and it'd be over with the cheap shots would continue and continue and continue and continue that was what happened in the old days back in baseball as well where just now, all of a sudden, the guys are going to police to themselves. They throw at you and throw it back and throw back and go on and on and on. So where's the right answer? I'm not quite sure, but understand this. The guys that play football, the guys that play hockey, the guys that play baseball, the kids that want to play on the playground, they need to have an autonomy about them that allows them to express themselves. And when you try to bottle that up or put all sorts of rules and chains and handcuffs on this thing, it's not going to fucking end up well. Now, what direction it goes? No idea. But ultimately, yes, we would like to protect the players. And I think it's really important. Overall, I think you got to look at this and continue to make adaptations and, adjust- and adjustments along the the way. Okay, this is a fascinating one. Fascinating. Jim Irsay, the owner of the Colts, blames the arrest on police prejudice against white billionaires. Yup, okay. yep, you heard it here first. That's right. <sighs> Indianapolis Colts owner Jim Irsay said his March 2014 arrest for driving under the influence was a result of prejudice against him for being white and wealthy. The longtime NFL owner spoke about the circumstances of his arrest in an interview with HBO Real Sports that aired on Tuesday. You say later pleaded guilty to one misdemeanor count of operating a vehicle while impaired after initially facing four additional counts of possession of a controlled Substance. Quote, I am prejudiced against because I'm rich, white, and a billionaire. Irsay told HBO's Andrea Kramer, if I'm just the average guy down the block, they're not pulling me in. Of course not. Asked how how he thinks it sounds for a white billionaire to claim he's a victim of prejudice. Irsay stood by his remarks. Quote. I don't care what it sounds like, Irsay said. It's the truth. I could give a damn what people think how anything sounds or sounds like. The truth is the truth, and I know the truth. Police in the Indianapolis suburb of Carmel pulled Irsay over after observing a man in a Toyota Highlander driving slowly stopping in the roadway and failing to use a turn signal. Authorities discovered various prescription drugs in Irsay's vehicle, along with more than twenty-nine thousand dollars in cash. What is that a fucking crime? A toxicology report showed Irsay had painkillers, oxycodone, hydrocodone, as well as alpha, alpha zolam, which is used to treat anxiety in his system at the time of his arrest. Officers. On the scene said he had trouble reciting the alphabet and failed other field sobriety tests. The NFL suspended Irse for the first six games the following season and fined him $500,000. Irsay claimed that when he was asked to take a field sobriety test and looked unsteady walking, it was because he had just had hip surgery. Asked why he pleaded guilty if he had been profiled, Irsay said, He just wanted to get it over with. The Carmel Police Department said in an email statement to the Indianapolis Star, we are very sorry to hear the comment about our officers and our department. We have a very professional agency consisting of officers that strive to protect our community with integrity and professionalism. The 64-year-old businessman also told Real Sports he had gone to rehab for an addiction 15 times in that he once nearly died of an overdose, adding that addiction and alcoholism is a fatal Disease. Ursay's father, Robert Ursay, built his fortune through a series of successful heating and air conditioning companies before purchasing the Baltimore Colts and controversially relocating the team to Indiana in 1984. Jim Ursay has owned the Colts since 1997 when he emerged victorious from a legal battle with his stepmother over the ownership of the team following his father's death. Okay. <laughs> Look. Do I think that a white billionaire is profiled? 100%. Like, I, I think Irse is right in that. Now, are they prejudiced against Jim Irse? Because he's a white billionaire, I can't tell you that. But I don't think it really fucking matters. What matters in the situation is that Irsay was loaded up on drugs and alcohol, and he couldn't recite the fucking alphabet to officers. So even if he does get looked at differently, being a white billionaire, like what does that have to do with him being intoxicated and being all drugged out and getting them off the road like they should have? Like, don't let that man on the road. You can't. That's a hazard to society. But there's something else here that I want to know. Because if he was profiled as this rich white billionaire, and they did, quote-unquote, take him in because of that, why the fuck was he driving a Toyota Highlander? What part of Toyota Highlander says I'm a billionaire? That doesn't make a lot of sense either. So maybe they knew who he was once they saw his identification. But that Highlander, man, I mean, the last I checked, that didn't reek billionaire to me. So that's another argument against. The profiling of the rich white billionaire. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what color we are. It doesn't matter what race we are. It doesn't matter what sex we are. We're all going to get profiled. We're all like, someone's going to look at me. I'm a middle-aged white male that wears my hat backwards and sunglasses all the time. And I got this Bozo the Clown hair coming out of my fucking like Whatever. I it, it happens. And I think it's okay for all of us to observe what somebody else looks like, but don't judge because I don't think looks always tell the entire story. So we have to be careful with not necessarily the, pro- the profile, and it all depends on how you look at it, but it, it's, it's in judging the person at that point. But well, we were talking about this last night in the college situation with. I, dude, white males, right now, especially white males going to like a private school, good luck getting into college. And that was the big thing because it wasn't only males, white males that were discriminated against and not getting opportunities to go to these prestigious schools, but the entire Asian community, who historically have really high test scores, same thing happened to them. And If you were to ask me where I sit on this, if I'm a school, I would really like it to be proportionate to society, right? So if you have X amount of this and X amount of that, this is what our society looks like at this point, all around the world, globally. This is what it looks like. This is what I would like my school to look like. I would try to prepare my students for what the real world will look like down the road i think that's critical really really important there was i don't want to get too far into the details but there was a, a kid that we know really well that applied to harvard applied to mit didn't apply to stanford i think harvard and mit were kind of the first two that he wanted to go to and crazy crazy brilliant kid so engaging i i could sit here and have a three-hour conversation with him, uh, you know, 18-year-old kid, and not want to get up from my seat. And you guys know how much I, I like to move. I gets. he has a uh, life, he has life experience where it comes from not only some interns that he did with major financial institutions, venture capitalists, all of it, uh, dealt with the passing of his father, who was former military, a huge, uh, huge, Uh, Went to, I believe it was West Point, like just awesome history, intelligent kid, all the things that if I'm a college, I want this kid in my school, period. Well, apparently, and I don't know, because I didn't, you know, I don't have all the details and records and everything, apparently, just through the word of mouth and our little community rejected from every single school but boulder so he's going to boulder it's having a blast but what the fuck is wrong with these other schools like how do you see this i had all the test scores had all the grades had all the accolades had the sports had everything everything you could dream of and didn't get it so it's just a head scratcher for me and i'd have to ask again like if i'm running a any any school i i want it representative of society And I want people who have stories when I know that their story can help this kid and their story, then that that story would help this kid. And it's just, and you, and you mix and match and mesh and that's life, right? That's what all of us should want to hope that we would get out of our schools. Okay. Uh, geez. eleven. 31. Have no idea when I even started this. So you got to figure we are towards the end right now. I'm gonna finish with the eh, Wake Forest coach Dave Clawson mocked Notre Dame's love for Sam Hartman. Wake Forest football coach Dave Clawson jokingly took offense to Notre Dame's tribute to Fighting Irish quarterback and former Wake Forest star Sam Hartman, which played the song I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston while showing the quarterback on the video board during last weekend's Senior Day tribute. Clawson pointed out that if any program loves Hartman, it's Wake Forest, considering he spent the first five seasons with the Demon Deacons and just won with Notre Dame. Quote, there's no point in complaining about it, Clausen told reporters. We saw it last week in South Bend, right? I mean, here's a guy, Hartman, that we recruited and we developed, and they're putting a video on him saying, we will always love you. And I'm like, you only dated him for a couple months. It can't be love. We're the ones that love him. We had him five years. You rented him for a season. They bought him. And rented him for a year. And now they love him. When that video played. I was just like holy cow. This is where college football is. Clausen's fucking right man. He nailed it. It is so true. Now. Hartman has been great for the Irish. He's played really well. So do Irish fans love him? Of course they love him. But. Kloss has got a really good point. You know, where is the loyalty? I mean, here he was five years as a demon deacon. I mean, Hartman looks like he's no older than 35, by the way. I mean, this is a grown-ass man. He's got to have a wife and three kids at home, I figure. But Hartman decides to go to Notre Dame for his final year, and I don't really blame him. They were going to have a chance to compete for a national title. This is a legit team, national spotlight. Figure it help is NFL pedigree, yada, yada, yada. So I don't blame them for leaving. It is a little bit awkward, though, when you have the team that you were with for five years and then you dump them and it's like a SIA, right? Just like that. And now you got the new hot chick you're running around with. And, you know, she's got all the bling on and she's draping all over you. The PDA's over the top. Yeah, fuck, man. I'd be pissed if I were Wake Forest, too. I don't blame them. All right. Wooden Wednesday. We will finish with my one of my favorite John Wooden quotes, as we had one for Uh, the Daily Hustle today. Here we go. Woodenisms. John Wood's most famous motivational quotes were often called woodenisms for their simplicity and subtle guiding message. Here are 11 pearls of wisdom from the mind and heart of John Wooden. Be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are. If you don't have time to do it right, when will you have time to do it over? Make each day your masterpiece. Never lie, never cheat, never steal. Nothing will work unless you do. Oh, I like that. Success comes from... Knowing that you did your best to become the best you are capable of becoming. Things turn out best for the people who make the best of the way things turn out. Talent is God-given. Be humble. Fame is man-given. Be grateful. Conceit is self-given. Be careful. The best competition I have is against myself to become better. Whatever you do in life, surround yourself with smart people. people. Whatever you do in life, surround yourself with smart people who will argue with you. Young people need models, not critics. That's it. Everyone have a fantastic Thanksgiving. We'll be back at you on Friday with an all-new Deuces Wild Daily Hustle. Then we got Will the Thrill coming back on Tuesday. And... That'll be it. Happy uh, Turkey Day, though. Adam, thanks for joining this morning. Pete, Bobby, Mike, Linda, Michelle, John Emmanuel Ramos, Henderson, and Makati City International once again, motherfuckers. If you're listening to Apple, Spotify, if you want to leave a review, we'd greatly appreciate it. Hit five stars if you're feeling generous. I mentioned that earlier in the show. And, uh... Happy Turkey Day, everybody. Let's enjoy some football tomorrow and just be grateful for everything that we have in our lives. That's it. See ya!